Welcome to the New Braunfels OPC Sermon Archive. New Braunfels OPC is a mission work of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church and desires to proclaim the life-changing good news of Jesus Christ to New Braunfels and the surrounding communities. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Carl Miller. Let's listen in. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn with me to Amos chapter 8. Amos chapter 8. We will be considering the entirety of the chapter today. Before we hear the preaching of God's word, let's go before him together in prayer, asking him to illumine our hearts and our minds to his word. Let's pray together. Father, we know that heaven and earth may pass away, but your words will never pass away. Considering this, as we hear the preaching of your word, we pray that you would help us to pay great attention to it that we would be quick to hear it through the ears of faith, receive it, cherish it, and walk according to all that you command. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Well, Amos chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of God. Thus the Lord God showed me, behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? So I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. And the songs of the temple shall be wailing in that day, says the Lord God. Many dead bodies everywhere, they shall be thrown out in silence. Hear this, you who swallow up the needy and make the poor of the land fail, saying, When will the new moon be passed, that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath, that we may trade wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel large, falsifying the scales by deceit? that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, even sell the bad wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their works. Shall the land not tremble for this and everyone mourns who dwell in it? All of it shall swell like the river, heave and subside like the river of Egypt. And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like mourning for an only son and its end like a bitter day. Behold, The days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. 
and they shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. In that day, the fair virgins and strong men shall faint from thirst. Those who swear by the sin of Samaria, who say, as your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall all fall and never rise again. Thus far, the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading of it to us. Well, beloved in Christ, God is long-suffering with his people. Paul spoke to the church in Rome about this in Romans chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, when he asked, And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and do the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? It's true. God is so patient. But his patience has a purpose. The goodness of God leads people to repentance. And this has been a prominent theme through the book of Amos, hasn't it? A sinful people who were so rebellious against their God, and yet God was so patient with them, even in light of their many sins. However, his patience, his patience doesn't last forever. If you recall in chapter 7, God showed Amos two visions, one of locusts and one of fire. Both signified coming judgment that would come upon Israel if they didn't repent and turn to him. And what did Amos do? He prayed and he pleaded. He prayed and he interceded for the people. We learned about the significance and the importance of interceding for others in prayer to the God who doesn't change, didn't we? Amos pleaded God's mercy. He pleaded that God wouldn't carry out the judgment he said would come. And what did God do? God used Amos's prayer as a means of carrying out his will. He relented from bringing about those judgments. However, God then showed Amos a third vision, one of a wall and a plumb line. And he would measure Israel and correct their crookedness. And in chapter 8, God begins by showing Amos a fourth vision, notice. Today, we will consider this chapter under three headings. First, the vision of summer fruit in verses 1 and 2. God's judgment for deceit and oppression in verses 3 through 11. As well as the famine of God's word in verses 12 through 14. And so we begin in verse 1. With the vision of summer fruit, verse 1, it says, Thus says the Lord God, uh, excuse me, thus the Lord God showed me, behold, a basket of summer fruit. Now, some of you may be thinking, you know, Pastor, that's a pretty nice vision. I mean, I love summer fruit. I like to have a basket of that myself. It's a lot better than locusts and fire. It's even better than the plumb line and having your crookedness corrected by God. However, 
God had a purpose of showing Amos this. Verse 2, and he said, Amos, what do you see? And so I said, a basket of summer fruit. And then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. Now God's words are significant here. First, we see that the end has come. Just as those summer fruits wouldn't last until winter, just as the people were ripe for destruction, the time where God's patience and long-suffering that is designed to lead to repentance, it ends, and judgment is inevitable. But secondly, God said this, I will not pass by them anymore. These words here should remind us of the exact same words he said in the vision of the plumb line in chapter 7, verse 6. It should also take us back to chapter 5, verse 17, where God spoke of passing through the people. God wouldn't pass over, he wouldn't pass by, but he would pass through the people in judgment. Consider these words of wisdom's call and rejection in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 24 through 27. Because I have called and you refused. I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded. Because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes, when your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you. So we see, what did wisdom do? What was wisdom's call? Wisdom's call was to impart such discernment and wisdom and guidance that they would turn, that they would take good counsel, that they would do what was right before the Lord, that they truly would be wise. But here, just like we heard in Amos, and have seen in Amos, isn't it? That the people didn't listen. God's hand was outstretched. Mercy was extended. Repent and turn. Seek me and live. But no, they did not. So the end has come, God said. The end was coming for a people that said that they desired the day to come. They desired the day of the Lord. However, they had no clue what they were truly asking for. And God further explains, even in this judgment and description of the details of judgment for their deceit and oppression, beginning in verse 3. Note there. He says, And the songs of the temple shall be wailing, in that day, says the Lord God. Many bodies everywhere, they shall be thrown out in silence. Again, whereas Israel thought that that day would be a wonderful day of peace and safety, death and destruction would be swiftly upon them at the hands of the Assyrians. Their songs would turn to wailing and mourning. Think back to what God told us and taught us about the lamenting 
that would happen in that day. Indeed, so many bodies, as Amos notes here in verse 3, so many bodies everywhere. There couldn't be proper burial. There couldn't be any of that. There's too much. They'd be thrown out in silence. So God addresses the oppressors once again. This isn't his first words to them. We've seen that time and again in this prophecy, have we not? But he addresses the oppressors again in verse 4. Hear this, you who swallow up the needy and make the poor of the land fail, saying, When will the new moon be passed that we may sell again, and the Sabbath that we may tread wheat or trade wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel large, falsifying the scales by deceit that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, even sell the bad wheat. Notice these great sins that God speaks to here. First, we see injustice. Second, dishonesty. Third, we see a disregard for the holy days established by God. And first, in it, regarding injustice, the oppressor's injustice takes our attention Back to chapter 2, verse 6, where God addressed this before. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of sandals. Remember that Leviticus 25 teaches us that if an Israelite became poor, he could sell himself to a creditor. He would work for the creditor until the debt was paid. However, the creditor wasn't to compel him to serve as a slave, and there was nothing in the law that says the creditor could at some point sell a poor person into slavery for silver. What we've learned from Amos 8 and Leviticus 25 is that there was corruption in Israel among the rich and the magistrates, and we've seen this in other chapters, have we not? Even the cows of Bashan, the women of Bashan, who were living lavishly, their husbands fueling and feeding and allowing and giving in to their sin and corruption as they were stepping and standing on the necks of the poor and needy to fuel their lifestyle. There was evil, there was corruption in the land. The evil manifest here was that the poor needy were being sold into slavery over a debt that was low as the cost of a pair of sandals. There were also cases where the poor were being sold for an amount they didn't know. There was no intention of freeing them from their debt. This was a violation of God's law. And so the poor weren't being treated as brothers who were having financial difficulty and hardship but rather they were looked at as sources of income for the rich. And yet God also speaks to their dishonesty. Israel's oppression of the poor was in large measure carried out and maintained and furthered through dishonesty. They rigged the scales. They manipulated the value of currency. They charged high prices for a low amount of goods. They would even sell the bad wheat 
meaning that they would take the chaff that was separated from the wheat on the threshing floor, they would mix it in with the wheat, and then when they sold the wheat, they would have a mixture of chaff in there cheating the buyer. This was a direct violation of God's law. For Leviticus chapter 19, verses 35 and 36 say this, You shall do no injustice in judgment, in measurement of length, weight, or volume. You shall have honest scales, honest weights, an honest ephah, and an honest hen. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You know, my friends, we see a variety of levels of dishonesty in our society today as well, don't we? Even as we look at these very things. Equivalence of rigged scales, manipulating currencies, overpricing, gouging, other forms of dishonesty. It's not hard to find parallel applications today, is it not? Some things don't change. There is nothing new under the sun. There is an ongoing need to have checks and balances, to monitor, to stop dishonesty when it's found in its tracks and return to and maintain honesty and justice. But God not only addressed their injustice and their dishonesty, but he also hits at the heart of their own hearts, their disregard for the days that he has called holy. Listen to and think about the words that the people used regarding the new moon and Sabbath. When will the new moon be passed that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath that we may trade wheat. Beloved, these were days that were to be those of celebration and worship. But how did they view them? They viewed them as days of inconvenience. Days that interrupted and got in the way of what they wanted to do. When will this day be over so I can get back to business? Was the attitude. Numbers chapter 28 teaches us that the new moon was a monthly festival that was celebrated with various offerings to the Lord. And we're quite familiar with the Sabbath, aren't we? Or and if you're not, this is a great time to begin to study um, the Sabbath. The Sabbath was and is observed weekly. It was founded as a creation ordinance by God. Dr. Joseph Piper summarizes nicely when he says, God instituted the celebration of the Sabbath both by his example and by his words of institution. First, he established the principle of Sabbath keeping by resting on the seventh day. And by the seventh day, God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. See that in Genesis chapter 2 2. The term Sabbath is derived from the word translated rested in verse 2. And by resting on the seventh day, God established the principle and practice of Sabbath observance. And secondly, God's rest expressed his delight in creation. 
Dr. Piper says Moses amplifies this concept in Exodus 31, verse 17, where it says, It, referring to the Sabbath day, is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. You know, it's important to note also that work was forbidden on both the new moon and the Sabbath. Israel observed the Sabbath for weekly for centuries. And when Christ rose from the dead, the Christian Sabbath began and is observed on the first day of the week. And it's to be a joyful and delightful day as God has set it aside as holy, a day full of worship and rest from our labors. And yet, whereas... The people should have been, uh, should have looked at these days and Israel should have valued and delighted in them. They had hearts of indifference about them. So I ask you, how do you view the Sabbath day, the Lord's day? How do you approach the Lord's day in your heart week after week? Are you indifferent to it? Or is it a truly holy day, set apart and made special by God? There is a familiar temptation like Israel to see it as a drag and a bother. I've got stuff to do. I'm a busy man. I don't have time for this. When can I get back to work? But yet God says this time, this day, is set aside. Come and worship. Come and rest. You know how easy it is for us to try to finagle different ways, different reasons, rationalizations, etc. for doing different things on the Lord's Day other than what he has told us to do. And yet these are issues of our hearts. So again, how do you view the Lord's Day? I encourage you to give the same value, priority, and delight to it that God does. He truly blesses us as we keep his day according to his word. But notice here in verses 7 through 10 of Amos 8, God then tells the people through Amos that he would not forget what they had done. The land would tremble and everyone would mourn. And he describes in more detail what that morning would look like in verse 10. Notice what he says there. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist. Remember that sackcloth and ashes were the sign of mourning and sorrow. Um, and that was the practice. And baldness on every head. Heads were shaven. Right? They were shaved. In mourning, I will make it like mourning for an only son, and its end like a bitter day. Much sadness, much mourning, much cause for lament. But in contrast to what would be present, notice what God said he would then remove. Notice what he said that he would remove in verse 11. 
Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Think about this. Famine isn't uncommon in Scripture, even famine in judgment. But those famines were on the land with lack of bread and with lack of water. Here, God said an even greater, more devastating famine would come upon the people. He would remove his word from them. They wouldn't be starved for bread or thirsty for water. They would no longer hear his words. They would be starved. They would be thirsty. And they would search and not find the word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 20 says this. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faith. Very true, very similar to the situation that Israel was in under Amos' prophecy. <clears throat> Consider also Hosea verse, chapter 3, verse 4. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without, without ephod or teraphim. The worship of God would not be present. They would be lacking what they should have had. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. The word of God was rare. It was absent where it should have been more abundant. Why is this famine of the word so important, beloved? God removing his word marked a climax of judgment. God removing his word was a removal of hope. For faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. And Proverbs 29, 18 also teaches us, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. When God removes his word from a people, they will be lost. Without vision, the people perish. What did Israel fail to do concerning God's words? They failed to listen to them. They failed to value them. They failed to take them to heart. They failed to follow them. They failed to obey them. So God removed them in judgment. Beloved, may this chapter cause us to ponder anew and to be thankful for the long-suffering and patience of our God. For we are miserable sinners just like the Israelites were. 
He has been so patient with you and me, hasn't he? But let us also remember that God's patience doesn't license us to sin. Shall we sin so that grace will abound? Make a noito, Paul said, may it never be. But thank and praise God for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank and praise him for the salvation that is yours in Christ. For God has not dealt with us as we deserve, but he has extended much mercy and grace to us. Thank and praise him for the Spirit's work in your life, the Spirit that he has given you. And seek to live faithfully before him today and this week. But I encourage you, don't commit the same error and sin that Israel did in being indifferent and disregarding the Sabbath. Is the Lord's Day a delight and a priority for you? I encourage you to think about that. Also remember, the famine of hearing God's words is a sign of God's displeasure. And considering this, we should open our mouths with much praise and thanksgiving for God's favor in giving and preserving his word to us in the Bible. Remember and cherish the benefits of having God's word. Don't take that for granted. God reveals himself to us in it. It declares his will to the church. It proclaims the truth and divides truth from error. It teaches, it comforts, it restrains, it convicts. It teaches wisdom. It contains the word of, words of life. It shows forth Christ. It proclaims the gospel and redemption. It proclaims Christ's kingdom. It proclaims the glories of God and, the, and of heaven and of that is to come. It reveals God's character to us, his purposes and his promises, and we could go on and on about those benefits. So instead of neglecting his word or refusing to heed his word, thirst for his word. And be grateful that you have it. Feast on his word regularly. For it is spiritual food. And you have it. Receive benefit from its bounty and riches. Amen. Praise God for his word. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening. We hope that you are blessed by what you heard today. To listen to more New Braunfels OPC sermons or to find more information about our church, please visit our website at www.nbopc.org.